Well, you know, before we get really into it, I will say that this is the most annoying fade-in in maybe the history of pop music. Like, it's too long. It is too long. You don't hear yeah. anything for 30 seconds, dude. And and then when you start hearing things, they're like, what? That, that it's and, like a concert and, yeah. band, concert band, like, yeah. <laughs> on the cymbals, you know, like, like too long, dude, too long. And I, I'm not saying that some uh, sort of attention deficit person, but you cannot well, have a fade and be like two minutes long. It's not cool. Boy, when that thing kicks in. It makes it all. It kicks cool. in and it's cool, but two minutes is too long, man. The, yeah, you know, two minutes yeah. is too long. I wish I would have been in the studio. Your mission should be decided to accept it. Yeah, welcome to another week. Another Saturday, you know, another episode. No. Your, your, your mission. We got special guests this week, Quentin, and we are covering Eliza's Choice, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by Lex Matching Pumpkins. It came out in, at the end of 1995, and I believe I didn't really actually listen to this until 1996, which would have made me 15, not quite 15. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. I remember this from like January, February '96. Ryan, I remember that the first time I heard this was because I borrowed it from you, and I believe yeah. you had the triple cassette release. It was not. Was it triple? I think I don't you think had triple. I think it was a triple cassette release, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're mistaken. I think it was double, but I did have the cassette release. It is okay. true. I did not. At we'll have the to time, look that up. We'll I did up. not own a CD player. There were no so other options make, in my life. Did they make cassettes with longer run time? Because I was just discussing this with another friend that is a big Pumpkins fan. And we were oh, talking okay. about when it first came out. We are like, was it a triple or a double cassette? I thought it was a triple cassette. Well, whatever. We'll have to look this shit up. You know, I mean... You know, now, Mandela, we refuse to use the internet for this shit. We've already discussed that. Uh, Mandela, Mandela. No, no Googling. Cage yep. match only. That's hey, it. dude. Yep. This this right here, steel fucking cage, man. The, the <laughs> least entertaining fight. Uh, bear trap. Verbal fight on the internet. Steel bear trap, right here. Yeah, sure. Capturing the bloody foot of Smashing Pumpkins facts. Of your own core <laughs> memory. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was fourteen fifteen. I think this is the first album that I really really like loved of my own when it comes right down to it and i think that's why i picked it and I'm, i was just curious to listen to it after all these years again intensely and see how it aged so to solve this if i were to buy it on ebay right now the mm. cassette is two cassettes two cassettes now is that the release from 1995 it is the 1995 release yeah damn dude yeah i caught the sorry bloody, dude i caught the you're broken too, broken memories <laughs> so yeah. my vinyl copy is three discs or three I'm, records that makes sense like you know there, there's a little less room on vinyl than there was on cassette tape especially at this point you know this is towards the end of cassette tape so they can change that recording speed a little bit and uh shove as much as possible on there so the vinyl and that also has a different track listing 
and and also has like a couple of like weird b-sides on the at the very end right some extra tracks uh, maybe i'll double check that i think there's like a tonight tonight acoustic something or other tonight revise or something I, I find it offensive that even this far down the road, they're still releasing other versions. I mean, well, what it, the, the, the remaster is what, like five six, albums worth or did. something? I, six, so, yeah. At some point, Jenny messaged me or messaged us and was like, yo, so I do have to listen to six fucking like discs of this shit. And I was like, no, no, you don't. You just need to listen to the first two. And that's that, totally legit, man. That was oh, and. <laughs> and and you know we say that, but you know, spoiler. I look across the the cuts, and Alonzo and I like we like I laid into the B sides a lot harder than Alonzo, but like I chose one. Did. I chose one B side before you jumped on. Me and Quentin were remarking on how clever you were. How clever I was. Oh yeah, just throwing in extra B sides to just show off your you dude. Know. I'm sorry, like, like especially this far down the line, I'd rather listen to the Bullet with Butterfly B-sides than most of Melancholy these days. Like, it has, like, I've listened to this album so much that those are so much more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know if you noticed what I did with my cut, but basically I have one single on there, and, and that's because I've listened to this record so many damn times. That yeah. I, I can't compel myself to put in a song that I've listened to like maybe a thousand times. Yeah, I don't think I crested the singles at all. Yeah, I don't see any of the 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 four or five or whatever. All right. Well, okay. So Jenny, I'm 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 curious. You have no background with this record, correct? The background I have with it is just that you know everyone else was listening to it and I like every other person alive at the time was exposed heavily to like five of those songs just by virtue of being conscious at that right. time other than that no I've never owned it I've never actually listened to the whole thing okay and and Quentin what's your what's your background if you can elaborate so I didn't get the CD until probably 97 because I couldn't afford it and when I finally got it I wore it out the standard version picked up but i got all the b-sides via airplane yeah so the, so, so a little background on that so there was a there was a collection of b-sides that came out like what like a year or two after the record came out yeah i think it was like two or three i'd have to look it up and it was called the air it was called the airplane flies high and it was a box set and it had five discs that were basically all eps and they were it was like the single and then a bunch of other songs so like five EPs, and I remember I got I got that I think as a present I think maybe as a birthday present or something at some point, and it was it was like kind of at the time I was just kind of blown away by how many great songs were in the B sides, and it sort of cemented like in my in my teenage brain like how amazing this record was that like there was like sixty songs <laughs> extra that were pretty damn good. The thing that I notice of like especially with like the bullet B sides is that that sounds a lot more like what you would like if you had been listening to the pumpkins from like ish on like the sound on the bullet b-sides is a lot closer to that pumpkin sound yeah. than anything on melancholy so so quinn um, so quinn did so did you like so you hadn't heard the pumpkins before melancholy right like no siamese dream no gish just a few, you know i'd heard like the singles from siamese and mostly 
you know, today. But this was probably the first one I... Because I didn't get Siamese until, again, after I'd already bought this record. Right. So my my order was really weird. I think it was like Melancholy, Siamese, then Adore, then Aeroplane. Because I had a hell of a time finding Aeroplane because they had already taken it out of production. Yeah. yeah right. They did a limited run of that, I forgot. I, I, I gave that box set to a friend of mine. At some I point. think I think mine's still I think it's at my dad's with stuff that I've yet to bring to New yeah. Mexico. So so Jenny, you're dealing with some real fucking nerds here, as as you might have suspected. She um, never had any idea. Also, I mean, I, I can nerd with with I can easily keep up with y'all's nerding on other albums. Just yeah. So okay, so I don't even know where the hell to begin. Like it just from the standpoint of like. I could read for you some of my observations that I just some notes that I took down. And I think number one for me is boy has his voice not aged well. And I don't know if it was just like when I was a teenager and I was just kind of willing to overlook stuff like that. But So can I can I yes. hop in here for yes, a second? Please. I think when at some point we talked about this and I and I probably said I think like I say for some things that yeah like of course like I've heard it because it played but like I never really dove into it on my own and I you know I probably don't really I don't really have good explanations for why I never never dove in more but I listened to this and I was reminded why that is it's because Billy Corgan's voice is an acquired taste that I have not acquired <laughs> and that's not me now yeah. musically musically I have I think musically the pumpkins are fine and in fact one of the things that struck me when I was listening to this is how much or I was reminded one of the things that I like about their music is how at a, at a time when it almost seemed like it was cool to be like very sloppy like you know Nirvana grunge type like very just really like undisciplined and like whatever I think that they skewed towards keeping things very tight and they mm -hmm. did a very good job of that musically and I'm impressed by that and I was then and was reminded of that fact now like I like that about them but man Billy Corgan's voice he's got two voices guys he's got a, a soft wine and he's got a loud wine but either way it's a wine and I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my best I'm doing so, my best but it's tough it's it is tough it is tough in my opinion and like I feel like the ones that work the best, honestly, are the ones where he distorts his voice the most. Yeah, the, scre the screams, <laughs> I think, are the best. I'll agree with you on like, that. Like, okay, song that I didn't love when I was growing up, but I think is, like, fucking awesome, is Tales of the Scorched Earth. Like, yeah. I think that song fucking kicks ass, and it's part of it is just how distorted his voice is. It doesn't bring that stuff into the mix as much. And it just feels like a really raw kind of, I don't even know what to call it. Like some sort of weird, heavy industrial thing, whatever the hell that is. It sounds it's like the other thing he gets like, so I think it's on bodies. He has that like scream that sounds like he has ingested the microphone. <laughs> like yeah. It, yeah. it becomes so intensely muffled. I've never heard like, and I listen to a lot of heavy stuff. I've never heard anybody scream to that he, level. I would imagine yeah. they had to like cancel recording for a few days because <laughs> there's no way we don't hear him blow out his vocal cords. I mean, so it. so like, look, I I feel like he blows. I mean, that, that like, it's like 
a high-pitched, like, guttural scream. And, like, you know, in metal, like, in metal generally, right, like, that's not the kind of scream. Like, it's, like, more, you know, like, low register, right? Yeah. And so this is, like, something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) and again, like, like, people that sing, like, heavier stuff do not sing like that because it is unsustainable. (laughs) <laughs> right like they learn techniques to be able to like not completely destroy themselves on a tour or in the studio he, it's like billy corgan for a, one moment did not give a shit and just like let it explode and yeah it that's sounds cool. amazing that sounds, sounds cool amazing. And, and they never came back to that s- stuff i i feel like really at the end of the day they never really came back to it and it's kind of a shame and maybe that's the reason right it wasn't sustainable like that I mean, the the thing that I'll say is like like they have a lot of heavy stuff on this that they don't come back to. They have a lot of variety of heavy stuff that they don't come back to. You know, it, it I would I could see it not playing with his like vocal range, yeah. but at the same time, like there are plenty of metal acts where they sing in a higher register. You know, it's the thing that impresses me the most is like the use of like compression and guitar tone on all of the heavy tracks sounds pretty different on everyone. Like it's like five different attempts at sounding heavy, the grunge stuff, but other, there's a doomy track. And I was, I was trying to remember where it comes in, but there's like that slower, heavier track. XYU or maybe it is XYU. Yeah, one of those. So, one of those that didn't make my list. One of my time, notes. But. One of my notes was like that. A lot of the the heavier stuff almost sounds like doomy stonery, in a way yeah. that I just had never placed it. Like I, almost like know. Caius, almost like uh, early Queens. Yeah. And th- and that stuff that at the time I wasn't listening to. Hell no! Right? Yeah, it, I didn't even know any of that existed. I didn't. Yeah, I mean the only my only exposure to that stuff was like I Hate God, which I had a couple albums of their stuff, and you know, like Pantera into Down, and then just basically like looking for albums based off of like the shirts that philip anselmo would wear in videos so right, it's like right. <laughs> oh sweet like crowbar i should see what crowbar sounds right, like and, right. yeah like it they did it i don't know i think the the pumpkins accomplished a feat on this that like they could never come back from and that is like spanning musical genres that they'd never touched before yeah and as much as I really liked Adore after this, like, it, like to go back to Adore now, I, I don't know that I have that full appreciation, and it's a little sad that, that they didn't head in a different angle after that even. It just, they never got it back. Yeah, so, so something else I noticed is, I feel like strongly that this might be the best drumming on any record we've ever done, and every kind almost every song has drum and so the range is kind of crazy so it's like super fast almost industrial but then also to like almost like a concert jazz sort of sound and it's impressive and also i re- the record sounds groovier than i remembered it like and maybe that's just a better mix or something where you can hear the bass and the drums and like i feel like the bass and the drums lead 
the songs a lot of the times. And that was kind of cool. I didn't remember it like that. I feel like the remaster is a little bit more even. Yeah. Like um, some of that stuff is a little bit more forward than it was at the time. And maybe that's a, a medium. Yeah. I don't know. It's either that or like, it's either this record or the Iron Maiden record that we reviewed with the best drumming, I think. I feel like there's probably not anything else remotely close. I actually met the Pumpkins at a signing, like a, a greeting signing thing in, I think it was 2000. And they were touring off of Machina, which was like, I think their last like record with the original band lined up, sort of, I guess. And uh, no, it was, it was the original band lineup. And I remember being in line and being super nervous. And then I got to the, Billy Corgan was really, really fucking tall. Like really tall, much taller than I thought. Uh, Jimmy Chamberlain, the drummer was much smaller than I thought. <laughs> and, but was just built like a fucking, like, I mean, he was just like muscles on muscles on muscles. And- I thought uh, you were gonna say like a brick shit house. And well, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was a confusing time. It was, it, was weird, it. it was a weird time. <laughs> anyway, so but was this, was this post rehab for Jimmy? This Campbell? was post rehab. Yeah, this was this was post rehab. I, you know, you put down the drugs. You got to do something to occupy. You got to do something, right? And anyway, I was like so freaked out. Billy looked at me, and I remember he looked at me just like, "Okay, this person is like I couldn't say anything." And then I got to Jimmy Chamberlain, and I was like, "I really love your drumming." And he was like, thank you. And he signed and that was it. <laughs> I was I was like too fucked up. I was like too like, I think also I was high in terms of service, I guess. But you know, like I was, you know, I mean, it was, it's, yeah, it was, it was too much. It's tough to meet your heroes. You know, <laughs> I, I remember when we went to see the MST3K like revamp cinematic Titanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like tra- talking to like Trace Ballou was like, all I could utter was like, Thank you. Like, it's just, it's terrible. See, I hate it. Like, Je- Jenny, Jenny, I- Jenny possesses a skill that... Because I remembered, no, I mean, I'll, I just walk up to Holy Wave and I'm like, hey, like, here's a lot of thoughts I have about your music. And uh, then again, well, we're not going to go into that story either. <laughs> I don't know. The only time I've ever, like, been able to walk up to, like, a celebrity or a musician that I really appreciated and not like been a total nerd was that time that you and I walked up to Kurt Vile. So I'd like to think that like through Toma Osmosis, I, I obtained a level of chill otherwise unavailable. I'm going to go. You know, I, I'm, I'm I, ran go into him, I ran into him at the Charleston, a hotel in Charleston. When I was taking the bar exam, I like walked yeah. over and I was like, there's no reason that's that looks a lot like Kurt Vile, but there there's no reason that he would be here. He's not playing here tonight. But then he, I was like, he had on long stripy socks, and I was like, obviously that's Kurt. Like my brain was like, but it is though. <laughs> so then I was like, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, we're just between shows. We're just chilling here tonight. And then we went outside and had a cigarette. And I was just, yeah, I don't know. He's easy to talk to. He's really, really. Easy. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm gonna go see him June the nice. 23rd. He's playing here. Already. Did you already get tickets for that? I did. Okay. I did, but I but you should go get tickets. And and you know the other crazy thing, and I just didn't even know about it when I was living there. But Kurt Vile used to record like three blocks away from where I used to live in Northern Liberties. Like if you remember, like Fifth and Green, I think he was on like Sixth and like close to Gerard. So 
yeah, no, super cool. And he yeah. seems like a, the kind of dude that would be easy to talk to. So, but yeah, no, I was befu- I was just completely befuddled and didn't know what to do. They were like bigger than life. Like, they won like three Grammys and sold like ten million records. Like, they were the biggest rock stars in the world. I think for probably a couple of years, right? The hardest person that I have like went to talk to actually. Now that you guys brought it up, like. I almost had a tough time talking to Robin Pecknell, but like not really. It was more just like, oh my god, like what are you doing out here? Like in the and then it was just like, oh, okay. And then I just like mumbled like new albums like amazing. And we got like a selfie, and then I was like, you have places to be. I'm gonna go now, <laughs> dude. Okay. <laughs> That's like the closest I came to. You know what the picture that I'm most jealous of that you took? <laughs> easy, that? easy is the one that you took with the mayor of that town in southern West Virginia. Oh, Johnny Cummings. Damn, dude. Because I, 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 I saw I saw that dude on the Daily Show, right? Like they did a whole thing for him on the Daily Show back in the day. And then, like three months later, like I see you share a picture <laughs> with him, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> we were at a party um, at this woman's house who I sort of worked for at, yeah. at that summer, and she had a hot tub, and everyone just like stripped down to their underwear and got in the hot tub. Like that was just expected. It was what you did. No one had bathing suits. They just, you know, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was, it was a weird. T- it was a weird time. It was a weird nice. time. It had big little bubby child vibes. So. So anyway, yeah, you know, so one of the things I've been thinking about is just like, how do I, like, put distance between me, like, and the sort of obsession I had with this record and this band, and like, me at 40 years old. And it's, 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 it's a challenge. Because like, I will listen to some of these songs and they'll make me smile because I'll think of like very specific times or moments or whatever, right? But then I'll try to put my like objective hat on and be like, fuck, I can't really fuck with his voice or God, this arrangement is really cheesy. Like like Tonight Tonight, the, the video for Tonight Tonight is amazing. It's so cool. Like it's this kind of homage to Georges Méliès like, and uh, Trip to the Moon, which is like one of the first films ever, <laughs> right? And it's actually on HBO uh, Plus. Oh right yeah? Now. You can own that. Gosh. Yeah, I watched it with uh, Esther. The other day, after we watched the Tonight Tonight video, yeah. Nice. Right. What was her reaction to that? Did she enjoy it? Uh, yeah, she thought it was like just wild that that was how things were done. Dude, that was made a yeah. hundred and seven, hundred and nineteen years ago. Yeah. Okay. Trip to the Moon, which is amazing. So the, it was a very cool video. But if you listen to the song and the arrangement, it's cheesy as hell, man. With these like strings and stuff like that. But at the time, like, there wasn't really anything like that in music. It, at least in, like, rock music. You just, there's so many things on this record that you'd never heard back then. Like, Cupid the Lock. Who would ever put a song like that on one of their big rock records? No fucking way. Right? Um, yeah, or, or the two, the two, okay. So to tie a thing I meant to bring up earlier to what we're talking about now, the two tracks that James Eha sings on, yeah. on the album. Like, okay, we were talking about Billy Corgan's voice. There weren't a lot of options for singers in this band, folks. (laughs) Listening to James Eha sing off-key, it was your other option. It was Billy or James, and and I think we got the better of the two. I mean... I mean, at this point, I'd I'd be like, Darcy, you're up. Darcy, well, here's the thing. Darcy has some really, like, good singing on... Yeah, there's a song on Gish, My Daydream, I think it's called. Daydream. 
And it's really good. And she sings on this record too. She's on uh, Farewell Goodnight. She sings oh, yeah, one, yeah. Of, one of the verses on Farewell Goodnight. It's it she's it's a very kind of shy, quiet sort of singing. But yeah. and and like could I endure like a whole album of that? I don't know about all that. But I think probably Darcy is your best bet, honestly. Do we know what Jimmy sounds like vocally? Do we have Jimmy Chamberlain? No. no, no, I don't have any evidence of that. I don't think he ever sung background or anything like live or any of that stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're stuck with Billy. I think you're right. Although some of those James Eha songs are pretty cool. He's got a song. He's got a song called "Blue Away" on on Pisces, Pisces. Scare, which is really, yeah. which is really one of my favorite Pumpkin songs, but. Well, and you know, in terms of the B-sides, I really enjoyed The Boy, which I put on my list, which mm -hmm. is pretty different than most of the other stuff. He sings he sings a era. cover of The Cure, of it's the Cure song, oh. A Night Like This. Yeah. He's the one that sings A Night Like This, right? Yeah, and that works well. That works, like, that works. Yeah. Yeah, that works. I mean, so anyway, this was like a kind of sad, whiny time for me in life. And so I feel like this came along right when it needed to come along for me. There was a lot of whining and a lot of sadness. Also a lot of anger. Like, it's like, I think about all the emotions in this record, right? Sadness, longing, disappointment, anger, like straight up rage, right? Bullet with butterfly wings, right? <laughs> the world is a vampire set to drain. I still feel that. <laughs> it's 2022, so I still feel it. So like I kind of when I made my playlist, yeah, I, I basically did it real, real corny, you know, high fidelity autobiographical. Yeah. So Bull of Butterfly Wings is like now, just like <laughs> so angry at like you know the world that I'm, ra I, I'm raising my child in, and you know feeling somewhat like trapped in my career, even though I do like my work. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I think that's like the middle age. Like, I am so mad and helpless, and that song is so perfect for that. Despite all my rage? Despite all your exactly. rage? Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be exactly right here. Like, there's nothing <laughs> I can do about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then definitely that song spoke to me, like, just on a growing up in a small town, you know? I'm still just a rat in a cage. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I, like, like, the thing is, and, you know, Jenny, you know, Mylan slash Moorfield experience, I'm sure lines up with ours on some level. But like, Probably. I feel like, I feel like, like you could not escape the same, like, 50 people. And, and even probably bigger than that, like maybe a couple hundred people. Like you just could not, you couldn't hide. Right? Like you could hide in your room, but that gets boring after a while. You couldn't just really hide. Like you just were constantly having to deal with hundreds of people. And it was, a, you know, it was just like, it was definitely a lot of daydreaming about not being there for sure, you know, and being somewhere else. Well, I mean, at least at like the end of the school day, like we got to go home and there is no one else at home. So, yeah. you know, just cows. So there was that, but you know, and retreating to your room is, is great to an extent, except for Jill was in my room. So like not <laughs> ideal. Yeah. Um, my brother was in my room know. too. Yeah. Headphones. Headphones are the, the, the ultimate retreat. Hey, so what about 1979? Has 1979 aged well? Everyone? I, I actually like it. It's one of my favorites off this album, and I still like it now. Like, mm -hmm. I think it says a lot. Yeah, I think as far as singles go, it is something I prefer from this album. Like, it's it's such a cool, like, groove through the whole thing. 
I don't know. It feels like it reminds me of driving around in high school with my friends after school. Like that's a hundred percent. That yeah. that is I go instantly trans go back to that time. It's it's I, it's the video like the video is that too? Yes, exactly. And it, was, and it was that exact vibe, right? Could not catch that vibe better. And there's that cool kind of reverbed out like yeah, it almost sounds like someone humming the melody, but it's it's a guitar, like it's such a cool sound. Also got a really cool second bridge yeah. right here that is it's like how many pop songs like you feel, I feel like hey the verse is cool, the chorus is cool, the bridge kind of sucks. They just kind of yeah. threw that bullshit in there. This one sounds like actually really cool. I, I feel like it adds a lot to the song. And yeah, no, it's, I think it's a, it's a great pop song. I, I still, I, it still sounds pretty good. And I feel like his voice works yeah. well in this. And it also sounds weirdly modern, like with the, with the drum, like drum machine beat. Yeah. thing he's got going on there and I feel like also this song kind of predicted maybe a little bit of like what their sound turned into eventually I say like it's also just a little bit more timeless like when you listen to it, it it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily sound dated in the same way that some of this stuff does right like some of it I'm just like oh right like I know exactly what time period this so, is. so wait Jimmy, yeah. can you give me an example of something that sounds completely dated like some of the songs were very like STP sounding. Like there were a few, let's see, like Jelly Belly. Like oh. when I heard that, I was like, oh, right, okay, this, yeah. Damn, that's this one of my favorite. That's one of my favorites. But you know what I mean? It's like got that sound that was like. It's like a grungy. That, it's definitely like got its roots in, in that time period. Whereas this, I think, is a little more like. It is timeless. Yeah, I, I agree. I cannot hate on Jelly Belly. It's like one of my favorites on, on this record. It's like the drums sound so fucking good. The bass sounds good. And but you're right. It is of its time. <laughs> it is very much of its time. This is like one of my it's still one of my favorites. Like you crank this shit in the car. It sounds fucking amazing. And maybe maybe that's just the remastered version or whatever, but I don't care. It sounds really, really good. And they never came back to this sound really, in my opinion. I don't know, Quinn, what do you think? Like. For me, the, how heavy and groovy this stuff is, is not really something that they got back to. I think they tried in Machina, and it just like, it didn't especially sound the first right. half, it just didn't, it sounded like a different, re somebody else's record, it, it didn't work. Yeah. I'd agree with that, like, I was excited for Machina, because it seemed like it was going to be a re return to form, you know, a transition back to something heavier, yeah. and... It just felt like they were still really mired in the like the sound choices that they were making for a door and they were trying to use those same similar sounds to make a heavier record and it just didn't work. Now I like the back half of Machina. Like there's a couple like really cool tracks on that. This the spider one that's like nine minutes long. Like that's a that's a favorite. So so just with, with Jelly Belly, I'm sorry, I'm gonna turn this up a little bit. This part is so fucking cool. Yeah. This guitar solo, I mean, yeah. Uh, it's just, it sounds like it's being played in reverse, right? It does. It, it does. It's You're just right. These like these like screaming bends that they just they don't lead into them. It just immediately like strum and bend and yeah, it's great. You know, you know what's also interesting. I was thinking about this too, right? You know, it's like a lot of classic like heavy rock or rock records right like 
They get a lot of covers, right? No one ever tries to cover these heavy pumpkin songs. And I think uh, it's because they're too hard. <laughs> so, Karen, my daughter loves the Karen O's cover of Bull Butterfly Wings. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll have to. You know what? We'll have to put that on the. Yeah, we'll I, have to put it's not heavy at all. It's, yeah, it's like more industrial, electronic sound. Right. Still, I you know I'm a big Karen O fan, so that's oh, yeah. cool. Lovely. But like, okay, look, look, check this out. I mean, how are you going to cover this shit? Yeah, where do you take it? That's the. You can only take it down, right? You can only like you can't take it up. It's already total chaos. I mean, I don't know, dude. And a lot of their they play a lot of like complex bar chords. That's the thing, so, dude. Like, the the the, the, technic, the technicality of this music, I, I don't think you can really argue about. You know. Yeah. At the end of the and, day, and you know. It's, it's interesting that, like, Eha ends up in uh, Perfect Circle. Yeah. Right? He's still playing with them now, I think. Right. He always seemed like, like, Billy seemed really competent, but he seemed like the, the really technical player. Like, he's like Soundgarden's Kim Thiel. Right? But, but, but here's the thing, right? So this is what I, my understanding was, and Siamese, when they were recording Siamese Dream, the previous record, Billy basically re-recorded all everyone's parts because they weren't working or because they weren't technically sound enough and so I think I don't know that that's necessarily the case I mean the Smashing Pumpkins is Billy Corgan's band yeah and I think on this record what they did different was that they basically recorded demos that became the foundation of all these songs together like live and instead of like the way they did it before which was like record the bass part then record the guitar part then record the drum part right like and so I think it worked really well in like giving it a more groovy, organic sound that sounds like a contribution from everyone. But at the end of the day, <laughs> like Billy's playing the guitar solos, Billy's playing the main guitar parts, Billy has all the dis decision making when it comes to the production. So this is one man's ego on display yeah. <laughs> as yeah. a rock band. But it just, it, it, it pains me to think of what if when it comes to the heavier stuff. I know that I've been hammering this away, like away at this, but like, I feel like the biggest surprise for me was just how cool some of the heavier stuff still sounds. And like how kind of vibrant it still sounds and groove. They never get credit for that. They never ever get credit for that. It's always like Tonight Tonight or 1979. And all not, not to shit on any of that. All that stuff is cool, but you know. The heavy stuff needs to have more love, in my opinion. I mean, this this shit is like awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know that I really fucked with this song when I was growing up too much. I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I I think this thing sounds fucking amazing. It's yeah, like, <laughs> I feel like like teenage me like this was maybe the way in for me. Like I was not listening. I was I was moodier. I was listening to heavier stuff. I was angrier. Yeah. And but yeah, it's like at the time it was a lot of really digging the super heavy stuff and then finding them back in the album. Yeah. Jenny, I I wanna talk about some of your favorite songs here, Through the Eyes of Ruby. Good choice. Uh, Which is wasn't that a that was a huge surprise. I because I basically going into it it's weird because 
most of the time, or if it's an album that I've listened to a lot, and you guys probably recall an instance of this or three, where I have just bitched and railed and whined about how like all of the singles were like all of the songs that like shouldn't have been, and none of the great songs on the album were. Yeah. But for this one, I, I kind of felt like I was like, no, nah, I kind of feel like the singles are going to be like mostly, you know, it, right? Yeah. And then, and then this one ended up being my very favorite, and I had it's never a great heard song. It before, it's a and great that song. Was very cool. It's on all um, of our cuts. I really, really, really like this one a lot, and I have straight up never once heard it, which I think is tragic. And sad. yeah, yeah. And you know, this is how you fade into a song. This you is a fade. That's an appropriate music. fade. Yeah. In. Appropriate yeah. fade. In. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Little piano, tinkling piano at the beginning. All right. And then, you yeah. know. But I okay. mean, this one has like just a little, it's like such a nice mix of just about everything. It's got like little bits of heavy guitars. It's got like, you know, a little like something you can headbang to Fl- a little bit. Flanged and then out it's got, guitar, psychedelic yeah. thing going on. And then it's quiet. And then, it, yeah, it's just got like really a little bit of everything. And I love it a lot. Yeah. Definitely number one. That wasn't a tough call. Yeah, this song was... They have some, like... And again, running counter to what the trends were back then. Some, like, six-minute songs, seven-minute songs, eight-minute songs that work. Like, they're not, like, indulgent, like, and don't work. They work. Like, they're just long and cool, and there's just lots of parts and lots of stuff going on. Well, I mean, you know, even if you trim off the, like, fade-in from a negative sound uh, of... Porcelina. No, no, no. Yeah, you still have like a nine-minute song. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's it starts by taking sound away from life, yeah. and then for thirty seconds, slowly adds it back in. <laughs> did I not? Did I say not indulgent? I, I that was that that was indulgent. But that, yeah, was it. But, that part's indulgent. But if you <laughs> cut that out, it's still a long song. It is a long ass song. Yeah, for sure. Here's the thing we haven't talked about at all. Is the lyrics to this record? To this record, I don't know if that's on purpose or. I don't know what they are. I didn't look them up. Okay. So I'm I mean, I, I think Ryan, up. Ryan, and Ryan and Quinn know. So I, I think it's a mix of like poetry and total self-indulgence. Like, like there, there are some lines throughout it that are, are fantastic, but you know they're mired in like self-indulgence and narcissism and yeah it's good Quinn what are your thoughts I mean the lyrics for the most part like for a long time I didn't know a number of them because yeah. you know I was in the car driving listening to the music so you didn't have you couldn't look at the liner notes and actually see what was <laughs> what he was saying right right but I don't think I cared it, it didn't I st- the point still came across yeah you know I think I made this point to you Alonzo like if, if I didn't get a cut of this album that had like zero vocals, <laughs> I'd really be happy. And I can make that happen for you, man. I mean, shit, I actually can. Uh, I could forget, just a, forget about mixer. the mic. Forget about the mic. That that that's my birthday present. I just um, I can I can dump it in the mixer and just tweak love, just, EQ the fuck out of it. And <laughs> I I love their tone I, through like everything. I love their sound. Like I could do without the like screeching harpy that sometimes becomes uh billy gorgon yeah i mean okay so so the lyrics there are like if there are pops of interesting lines but for the most part like i can i'm gonna stand up my 14 15 year old 
sad boy poetry right up to Billy Corgan's. <laughs> let, let me take the Pepsi challenge on that shit, man. Because seriously, like, some of those lines are so cringy, and I, even I thought at the time they were. But, you know, the music was so cool and great, you just kind of keep it going and keep it moving. I mean, you know, Lily, like, is a cringe fest from start to finish <laughs> in, in much the same way Message in a Bottle is a cringe fest. <laughs> yeah, there's a um, lot of love in this record. A lot of love. Yeah. Much, much love. Every song has love. In the, and like, is it? It's, yeah. It's, it's just... And, like... Okay, so something you said earlier, Jenny, really rings true to me, right? About, and you were kind of saying it in the context of their technicality, right? Like, how tight they are, right? And and the thing about the Pumpkins for me is, they tried. They were yeah. trying hard, right? Like, in a time when, you're right, there's a lot of bands that their whole modus operandi was, we don't give a fuck, we're gonna do whatever the fuck we want, you're yeah, just gonna it fucking was like it. Like- I think it was a contest to see who could give the least fucks, actually. Right, totally. And, and like, it's funny because in The Simpsons, I don't know if you remember the, their appearance in The Simpsons, and if you look at our Twitch stream, I have, like, a little gif of them playing at, at Lollapalooza for The Simpsons. But in The Simpsons, they were presented as, like, very disaffected, and, like, their fans were, like, disaffected, and Gen X kind of, I don't care. But that is not what they were, right? Like, that is not what they were at all. Like, they were super... They tried really hard and they were super sincere and not like jokey or whatever. Like they just put it all out there. So like they headlined Lollapalooza in 1994. This is a little bit of trivia. They headlined Lollapalooza in 1994 right after they put out Siamese Dream. And so they decided to like put together this crazy light show and like just did this elaborate production for Lollapalooza, right? And the rest of the band's like, did right <laughs> like all the other bands like just were just kind of like we're just gonna play our shit and and so they got a lot of hate from the rest of the bands because like they they felt like these guys were upstaging them right and one of those bands was a band named pavement of which we should definitely review one of their records sometime in the future yeah and, and there's a song which we should listen to by pavement called range life where they mm-hmm. where they talk about being on tour with the pumpkins and like saying something like was like I, I don't know what their function is I don't give a fuck, <laughs> and like so that was like a thing of like the, a lot of other bands were just like who the fuck are these guys and why are they trying so hard, they're like making us look bad you know, <laughs> and you know on some level and some deeply on some level like I love that shit, like I love it they tried, like they put together a double album of crazy experiments weirdness like heavy shit you know symphonic stuff electronic stuff like they just went for it right (laughs) like they went for it and i'd rather see someone go for it and fail than see someone barely try at all that's that's my monologue that's that's all i got (laughs) i'm typed out that's great. Okay, so what would, again, what was your least, what were, what were people's least favorite songs on this record? This one. Stumbling? Okay. It's almost, it's almost like you knew, Alonzo. Like well, it's because it's one of my least favorite, but, but okay, can you elaborate? 
It shouldn't exist. What is it? The voice? Is it? What uh, is it? It it's the voice, but it's also just that like the music. It's just lyrics are nonsense. It's it's just off-putting in a way that's like you know some things it's just like oh it's not for me you know i'll just skip it it's right. fine but this one for some for reasons i can't articulate very well it actually it irritates me <laughs> I, I don't I, know for me i like it makes my list for the like stripped down nature of it it's like uh, the antithesis like yeah. the antithesis for everything on the album like it's just this perfectly stripped down like vocal and acoustic guitar track yeah, it's yeah. almost like a breath of fresh air across the insanity that becomes this album i would love to hear like some other some other songs in the style because i think you're right i think this is like remarkable for that and it does stand out for that reason and it's an interesting um approach for them just not just apparently not this one. yeah Qu- quinn <laughs> thoughts on Cymbeline? Well, i think it works in context of the album because you go from like through the eyes of Ruby, and then you get this like palate cleanser, and then you go into XYU, and I, I like that ebb and flow of the of the record. Like you don't get a, a streak of like three real heavy songs in a row. Yeah. It's like you get one, and then just like we chill out a little bit, then we go back to it, and then chill out a little bit. Yeah, I, I do like the song. Like like Ryan says, it's you know jukebox fu- jukebox fuck up, hang around the drugstore. It doesn't mean anything, but I think of like Judy's drugstore. You know, I think of well, I mean, I think of Judy's drugstore too. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure that's I mean, why this song connected with me in like 14 or 15, because literally yeah. I, that's what I was hanging out at the drugstore a lot. You know, I, like for me, I think like lyrically, the moments that come through as good are like those one-off lines like that. It's very rarely the full song is like a well-written track, and yeah, I don't know. It just this is a nice. A nice break. I, I feel like there's some songs that there's a lot of overlap, like Galapagos and Porcelina. There's a lot of overlap in that presentation. But yeah, it's a good point in terms of like when what you were saying, like it, it's like it takes you up and then it kind of brings you down a little bit and lets you chill out, catch your breath, and it takes it back up. It's good. I'm with I'm, I'm with you, Jenny. I don't like the song. <laughs> It's one of the few songs that there isn't drumming on it, and... And that's what you're here for. That's, made I mean, clear. hey, look, Jim, I just think Jimmy is really good, and he should be on the song. And also, it's like, yeah, it's just kind of slight compared to everything else. Everything else is, like, operatic and big and crazy, and it just feels like this was a throwaway. And they could have put one of the 60 B-sides that they recorded <laughs> and, and replaced that song. Easily, love, in my opinion. I, you know, when you talk about B-sides, what was the track that's on the Zero EP or single? That's like it's like 30 minutes of riffs that they just went, nah, fuck it. We don't really it's like that one. Melody. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is... Yeah, it's like there's like 100 riffs, and throughout it, there's a bunch that are solid that they didn't do anything with. Dude, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, I mean, they could have literally took one of those riffs and made it a song. And that would be fine. Well, those are all riffs from different songs, like covers. Yeah. So if you look at like the like, I haven't looked at the I haven't looked at that track in a very long time. Yeah, Certainly it's literally like it's literally like you know two hundred names accredited to that song. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So 
Alright, okay, so Stumbling is, is your least favorite song, Jenny. Quinn, what's your least favorite song on this record? Maybe like Farewell and Goodnight. Like that oh, just... damn. <laughs> damn, that's on my cut. And uh, the, the end of the second record is just kind of weak in general. The end of the second record is kind of weak in general is something I can generally agree with. Yeah, yeah that, there's a series, like, yeah. There's like a solid four or five tracks that could be cut off. In fact, my least favorite comes out of that, for sure. Okay, so wait, hold on. What are you guys' feelings on We Only Come Out at Night? I enjoy it a lot. Jenny, I'm curious. Maybe what my second least favorite is. Wow, okay. All right. Okay. I, I like the art style guitar. So so I have a I have a an anecdote about this. Okay. I remember Alonzo in the front hall at PHS saying, listen to this track. You probably skipped it, but listen to this track. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that's when we were like maybe first becoming friends. Yeah. And I was like, you know, he's wearing like Nine Inch Nail shirts and Marilyn Man, you know, some very like, I was Edgy like, well, he's like, very sure of him, very sure of himself and very heavy stuff. Yeah. And this was like, maybe showed like a different side. Because it is such like uh, such a wild sounding song in the context of the record, and so, I think that I remember coming back from a soccer match. We were in my parents' car, and we were playing a door, and you were like, "For Martha, we got to listen to that." Yeah, yeah, and that was a similar like, you know, kind of like surprising, like, "Oh, that's one that he really, uh, really digs," and I, I love it. it. It's a great song. I, I really kind of do love it too. Uh, it's it's actually not on my cut. Um, not not. Because my cut was more of a teen angst. I, it's it's a teen angst cut, really. So it's like, my cut is a distilled sort of teenage sadness and anger. And this is too pretty and nice and weird <laughs> for that. I think you know? that if, if Billy Corgan was like scream yelling, we only come out at night over a heavy track, I think I would be into that. But <laughs> there's, there's too much dissonance here. Like, it sounds... Goof, like the music is goofy and I don't I guess if you if you can see it that way maybe it works but I just I struggle with no that. well you know you know it's definitely goofy I think it's good like but but also like here's the other thing right is this is also another predictor of what their sound kind of became and nothing like this was going on in pop music American pop music at least like with this kind of electronic backbeat thing and with harps and I don't know it, it doesn't it's one of those like to me like see it's like stumbling they're not doing they're not going for anything there it's just him and a fucking guitar and weird lyrics they went for something here it may not have totally worked but they went for something and it was very different you know and I, I have to, on some level, respect that. I mean, it's not a train wreck, I would say. <laughs> it's, it's a weird choice. It's a weird choice to put on an album. For that. And the weird, like, percussion that they use through it, that's like part click track and part, like, frog. I don't know how to describe <laughs> what it does. Part frog. <laughs> I don't know how to describe what that like that it's like a ticking but it's like a very like like resonant yeah it's weird yeah, whatever the hell that is 
Yeah, well, whatever the hell. And the and again, the guitar choice on that is like a harp. It's it sounds so cool. All right. Well, we only come out at okay. Well, we're we're approaching the end of the record here, and 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 I think there's some maybe there's some agreement that the end of the record is a little it kind of yeah it kind of trails off. Not, this is probably one of my this is maybe my least favorite song of me. Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. Explain. I. It does that thing that too many pumpkin songs do. Like, not too many, but the songs that I don't like from them end in the first like 20 to 30 seconds and then continue for another four minutes. Like, like <laughs> the way that this song progresses, the ending happens like 30 or 40 seconds into it it's like we've gotten the entire song and now we're gonna lather rinse repeat in a very uninteresting way huh cool okay interesting any other thoughts on beautiful it's just too generic for me and the instrumentation doesn't work like I think the arrangement the arrangement doesn't really work it sounds too precious it sounds it sounds like it's trying sorry I was just gonna say I I don't have a lot to say about it just because I feel like it's like very middle of the road like I didn't love anything about it but it, I didn't hate anything about it it just kind of like existed and it was fine that, and that's no good not for Melancholy and the Infinite Set not, not for a double record like 28 fucking songs and 60 yeah, B-sides yeah a lot of songs it's like no, yeah. you know <laughs> but I, I will actually I, I mean I, I will stick up a little bit for <laughs> so, at least the last two songs which I, I actually rated both of those a 3.5 because you know I'm on my, my mathematical bullshitting. By Starlight, I, I wrote, has the worst Billy Corgan vocals, like that, that, <laughs> that inflection well, that he's getting into. Let's skip to it real quick. Man, did that really just like rustle my jimmies. But the music <laughs> the music was, was good. I like it. Ground your gears. Yeah. I don't hate, I don't hate, I like it. it and, and this is kind of, I guess in a way, is like a more chill kind of Eyes of Ruby feel. Like it's yeah, not, totally. not as good. This is a Porcelana but... Eyes of Ruby Galapagos feel. One of those type songs. But man, do I wish they would have just turned down the vocals to zero on this one. All four of those songs that you mentioned are a lot of The Cure. There's a lot of The Cure in those, those four tracks, I think. I think that we skipped over my least favorite song, and I'm not really sad about that. The rockabilly one? Lily, Lily, my one and only. Rockabilly? What is that doing? Rockabilly. No, I just, you know, there's just just some, you know, I'm not gonna lie, there's just some embarrassing songs, and it's like, it's kind of like, like, I remember when I was growing up, and someone, I can't remember who, what, oh wait, I know who it was. It was this guy named Mark Geary. Quinn, you know, you would know. I think, actually, Ryan, you probably know him too. Shout out, shout out to Mark. I'm, I'm sure he's kicking ass and doing wonderful things in life, or, or not. I don't know. But he was showing me his like CD collection, and I just remember looking through it at one point and being like, "Dude, you're gonna regret." I mean, of course, like you know, no one has CDs anymore. And they've long since like thrown away everything. But like, he had like Chumbawamba's CD or whatever, and I just remember saying like, like. This isn't gonna age well. <laughs> You're not gonna like look back twenty whatever years and be like, "Man, Chumbawamba." Now, now remember I, when we were something. 
Right. I, so in other words, like there's songs on here where I definitely have like some kind of emotional connection to them, right? But but then yeah, you listen. You're older and you listen to them. and You're just like, wow, that just that's not that. That doesn't fly. That doesn't work. And and yeah, I, I, I agree that I, I like this song. I like this song. This song is cool. But basically, in my cut, I just didn't even include any of these songs except for Farewell and Goodnight. And I think the only reason I included Farewell and Goodnight is it's just because I feel like it's a good ending. <laughs> and Darcy sings on it, the whole band sings on it, and it's kind of unusual yeah, and cool. It's kind of fun. Like it feels like like kind of a wacky way to end the album. Are you, Jenny? Are you talking about that part? Is that the um, part you're talking about? The vocals? No, <laughs> it was more just the the way that he suddenly says words real strangely. Like he like really like bends the pronunciation for a reason. I mean, I'm I'm not loving that part of it either. But yeah, it's all of the above. But. You know, for farewell and good night, I agree with you that Tim Coe, or God, wow. <laughs> Tim Coe. <laughs> I was hey, thinking dude, about. They're canceled. I was thinking about how. <laughs> no, Tim Coe's not canceled. Well, he's not canceled. By fair, I fair enough. Not fair for enough. me. He's, he's fine. Fair he wasn't enough. at the rally that I know of. So. <laughs> and also, he's just bullshit. No, I was thinking earlier today that, like, like James Eha is like OG Tim Coe in, like, in my brain. Like, that's just how that works. And, and I guess maybe. Maybe that got too front and center. Um, <laughs> I think that I think that like I'm not here to defend his his voice and on that at all. But yeah. I, I will say that when I listened to it, like immediately I kind of wrote down like, oh, like this is very Alex G. This is very Elliot Smith. And so there was like something familiar about it at least that like I was like, oh, cool. You know, there was something to work with there. Um, yeah, yeah. For I sure. didn't mind it. For I did sure. not mind it. Yeah, it's yeah. That's the way I feel about this song. It's a nice way to end things. And I feel like if maybe they would have taken a handful of the songs at the end there and tightened that one up a little bit, or maybe replaced it with like, wouldn't it have been amazing if like instead of Lily, we got The Airplane Flies High? Like as one last long kind of burner, crazy ass, like hard song? I don't know. Could've I will worked. give somebody points, I guess, I guess. Billy Corgan, if he was in charge of it, but they they did something I really like, which is that they made the end of the last song match up to the first to the beginning song, so that you can loop. I'm a big fan. That's cool. I also, did not know that. Also, you're you're like you you put the opening track on there, the melancholy and the infinite sadness is on your yeah. list, Toma. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm I'm I mean it's still a really good it's a really good piano piece. It's really yeah. pretty. My brother's, that was my brother's wedding song. Oh, oh yeah, I remember that. Because yeah. that wasn't my wedding, too. <laughs> he <laughs> probably, no, it was It was also my brother's. I think he probably ripped you, ripped you off. He's got to follow gotta, the standards. He's, he's got a long history stuff. of ripping his elders off, <laughs> if, if I'm not going to lie. He has my signed, I'm here to defend him. He has my signed Pumpkins poster that I got at that signing or whatever. Anyway. So my parents still have my childhood home, and my Tonight Tonight poster is still up on the wall. Nice. <laughs> years later, that nice. tape has not has not let it fall. Well, now that we're approaching the end, yeah. oh no, let's not talk about that. That was a mistake. <laughs> the end is the beginning. Is or the beginning oh, is the end. Is the, beginning. the end is the beginning. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ! Oh man, that was that was when that was the overexposed pumpkins. But yeah. okay, so anyway, so rounding thoughts, like what? 
you know, I can I can just start by saying that, like for me, this was a really important record, and because I felt a lot, I felt a lot of the kind of emotions here. I felt like it's it's like the kind of record where it's like you know when you're young, it's like you feel like you're not understood, and this record made me feel like somewhat understood in some kind of way, right? And I feel like I spread the gospel of this record too. I did a lot of proselytizing about this record, and I think a lot of the people that got into this record that maybe I introduced them to it, or or maybe I introduced one song or whatever. I feel like there was like some kindred spirits there in terms of like what we were feeling growing up, right? And at the end of the day, like it wasn't a lot of records that made me feel like that, you know, like that had this like kind of deep emotional connection like that, and that like helped me even organize like my social group. <laughs> So it, this is like a really important record, like I feel like in my musical journey. It made me want to like play music, for sure. Like I think I joined marching band, like shortly thereafter, and and yeah, it had wide it had a wide range too, and it tried, it tried, it tried to be something epic, and it worked. Like it sold a bazillion records, and like I guess the only thing I would say is that. I don't know that this record influenced a ton of musical acts going forward. Maybe My Chemical Romance, but I'm not a big fan. And I'm not really a big fan of the whole emo stuff and any of that shit. But I feel like, I don't know, you couldn't, it's really hard to follow this up. For like any other band or for, you know, or for the Pumpkins themselves. And, you know, they put out Adore, which was the follow-up record to this. And Adore, when I first listened to it, I was pretty disappointed. And I don't think it's a bad record now. I think it's actually pretty good. There's actually a lot of great stuff in it. But I think, Jenny, remember we were talking about Radiohead and how, like, they went in a different direction, right? And the, the, the audience, like, followed. Like, the fans followed, right? And I don't think the Pumpkins... That didn't happen with the Pumpkins. Like, they went in a different direction, and we did not follow. I think that's a really good point. Like, at least myself, like, I, I bought a door. I really bought into a door. I really enjoyed that, like, kind of... That was still hitting my emotional teenager feels hard. But after that point, I really fell off hard. Like, I got Machina. I listened to Machina a handful of times and probably never went back to it. And You know, I think... For me, I found more, even now, I find more value in their older stuff and not in their later stuff. I really still enjoy listening to Gish and Pisces Iscariot, even Siamese Dream. But I yeah, think, I I think Siamese it. Dream is like my sweet spot of the older sound and the newer sound. I didn't want to review Siamese Dream because I feel like, I don't know, man. I wanted to review this one because this is, yeah. the, this is the one I feel like that was like the most important, the most like... The, like, they occupied a moment in culture, a long moment, you know? But, but yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you, Ryan. Like, for me, I, got, I bought Machina, I listened to Machina, and I haven't listened to it much ever since. And I haven't really listened to much of anything they've done since, or any Billy Corgan solo this or that or whatever. And maybe I should, but every time I've tried, I just feel like I can't connect to the music for whatever reason. Any other rounding thoughts, Quinn? I think the thing that really like surprised me is, you know, this record was real big in, in our group, 
Like, this was, like, probably one of the top five that we were always listening to. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, 15 years later, I would see, you know, people that were not in our friend group, you know, much more popular friend groups, that would be, like, sharing something from this record, and I would be, like, <laughs> almost like they were still in my culture. <laughs> I was like, no, you were way too popular to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I think that really, like, drove home, like, how big this record was. And especially for the time... You know, there's not a whole lot from, you know, that that yeah. scene that I still listen to. Uh, I think that's funny. Like, you know, I think there, like we didn't hang out a lot until after this album. We hung out more after the, this was like the tie that bound us like together in a way that was really interesting. Like, it's a lot of different stuff that I was listening to that a lot of you guys weren't listening to. This was that one common thread for so many of us yeah 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 and and you know i i i used to have a zero shirt i i i gave i let someone borrow it and it just disappeared i wore mine the other day and there is some there's just something about there's something about this record there's something about this record that connected right because i was really into other stuff too but the other stuff was it was this was not as dangerous as the other stuff i was listening to and maybe like this was like a compromise in some way for me, <laughs> because I was listening to some pretty, I mean, whatever, dangerous in the mainstream, I guess. But like you know, Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that that me and Ryan were into, and this was not nearly as dangerous. Like they were putting out videos that were like based on hundred-year-old like <laughs> silent films, and like not like you know with blood and needles and crazy fucked up shit like Nine Snails or Marilyn Manson or whatever so so yeah anyway Jenny so now now that now that you've gotten the experience any rounding thoughts I don't know I mean I, I guess I, I don't ha- I obviously have nothing historical to say about it since there there wasn't any and I was really wondering I was like man shit if this album like brought you all together like how did I end up connected to any of you <laughs> I don't remember and then I was trying to think like alright in 1995 like what was I listening to and I'm Almost certain the answer is Green Day's Dookie and some Soundgarden. I think those two were probably yeah. occupying my space right then. Yeah, no, I, I, w- I was just kind of like, me- you know, meandering historically. But listening to it now, I think, is in part... I, I think it's in some ways exactly what I expected because, I mean, obviously, like, I've heard some of these songs before. And in other ways, it was, like, pleasantly surprising to discover, like, new ones I'd never heard that I really, really, really liked. Um, and there are definitely ones I would skip. I think you could like like lose like a third or half of the album, and I wouldn't be mad about it. But like, it's a twenty what twenty eight twenty nine song. Twenty eight twenty eight like, songs. I don't care who you are. Like, you're no one has ever made twenty eight songs on the same album that I've like not wanted to skip. I, I mean, I think that's kind of the premise of the whole pod in some ways, right? It's like, yeah, has there right, ever been right, a right. double album that's gotta, been like perfect? There's no right. We got to get way. down to like the meat of this stuff, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, that's what we're doing. That's here. right. That's um, what we're doing. So, I'm glad. I'm glad that you that you had this as an assignment because I probably at at this point in my life would not have undertaken this on my own. So I'm glad that we did it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Okay, well, very quickly here, out of five, out of five stars, the cut that I made is five stars. The cut that I made is like the greatest rock record of all time. But all two discs, I mean, you know, I'm gonna give it a, a four four stars, four stars for me because. 
because and mostly because of how important it was like my development as like someone that appreciated music and how like you know how great it was to listen to the stuff at the time mine actually averaged a three five on its own merits so hey. that's that, uh, for the whole thing my that's cut cool. is obviously of, of course my cut is a five my yeah <laughs> five stars all the way okay Ryan? Like, to look back on it now, it's probably that, like, three and a half range. You know, I still find myself listening to it. I skip a lot more than I used to of it. It's going to be a minute before I listen to it again after the last few weeks. But, yeah, I, I mean, my cut probably might bring it closer to four. But at the same time, it's hard for me. It was hard for me to cut it up because it meant a lot. Right. That, it was. It was. I went back and forth, and I. You know what I decided to do? I was just like, "Fuck this. I'm gonna make one that's just like the most sort of angsty, like as I could, because like, like, you know, really, there's like four or five songs I don't like on this record, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't fit on one disc, so like, it's like. I tried to think. If you really wanted to angst this, like you could do a five-track EP that was real fucking heavy for like, like, yeah. There's so much variety through this that you could cut it into like EPs that Mm. convince people that this album is something completely different. (laughs) Totally, you could you could make a like Porcelina Ruby. Yeah, you could make that cut, right? You could make that. You could make the weird like. Like we only come out at night. Like take me down. <laughs> take me like, down. Or I'd say right. we we only come out at night. Love like the more electronic ones, right? Where it's like almost like kind of electro rock type deal. It, if you if you if that was your introduction to the Pumpkins, and then like you know do that, and then like write on it like best of. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd be brutal. Especially, and and we didn't talk about it, but. Maybe one of my favorite transitions in rock at this period is from where boys fear to tread into Ooh. bodies. Like, oh, totally. That, that, like, total breakdown into dissonance. And it's like, like at that point... Dude, I'm sorry, we got to hear that. I remember that transition, and I remember thinking, like, fuck my stereo, bro. I broke my stereo. It's <laughs> Dude. And then it just punches hard dude i i love you know bodies is like one of my favorites on here yeah there's no doubt yeah not to be confused with fucking drowning pool like the worst band i've ever seen live (laughs) yeah hold on oh sorry yeah here we go all fell apart that and it even stops like halfway through the rip oh yeah too right because it's like and then yeah no it's it's no it's yeah it's it it's rocks. really smart. It rocks. It's really smart and fun. You know, to go back to just real quick, to go back to what Quinn was saying about like people that we weren't cool with necessarily getting into this. Well, I mean, first off, honestly, I, there was very few people I wasn't like cool with on some level. Like even the you know so-called like whatever jocks or pop, whatever. Well, look, we were in a class of like ninety people. Right. It's like, like it's like how uncool could you hate... be? Like yeah, <laughs> like how hate like how how much could you really hate someone? I mean, well, look, I had a couple. Don't worry. Way. I, I am just saying, like, maybe social groups I was excluded from. Because <laughs> I yeah. cool enough. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, there was that feeling of exclusion, and I'm not a part of this, for sure. See, but, like, that's so funny, inevitably, cause... like, you'd catch those people on their own occasionally, and you'd find yeah, them way right. along with them. That's so yeah. funny, because, like, honestly, 
And maybe this is just a difference between me and you guys, but... Like, I never give a fuck about any of that stuff. Like, in other words, like, I mean, I never felt excluded. I ex separated myself from some people. <laughs> but, like, I never felt like I couldn't go over there and talk to someone or whatever, right? Like... Hey, the feeling of exclusion was about, for at least for me, about, like, growing up with these people. Yeah, like, that's, like, and that's like, a difference. That's a big difference, right? Yeah, knowing them from, like, three, four, five years old, and then later, like, not getting the time of day. That, like, felt like exclusion. But it was totally based around who they were with at the time. Yeah. And, and uh, amazingly enough, my life has went on to mean so much more than any of that stuff. Well, so, well you know. but, but, you know, like, I think, I think it's funny because, like, I feel like you definitely had... So, like, in, in terms of ranking fuck you energy, Ryan, you were number one, right? I think I was a close number two. I'm going to put Jenny at number three. And I'm probably going to put Quinn at number four. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Just in terms of, like, raw, raw, like, fuck, fuck you, you energy. energy. Yeah. Oh, I think I had more of it than that. <laughs> maybe I'm biased. So maybe, maybe it's, like, Ryan, number one, and then maybe... Me and Jenny co too, or or you want to you want to elevate yourself to number one? Because I've seen Ryan's fuck you like <laughs> I, I I've I'm, I've been privy and partial to that. So the reason I will defer to Toma having more fuck you energy when we were growing up was like she had the ability to be like, yeah, this doesn't fucking mean anything. To me. I was <laughs> like. Like fuck you. See, but the, okay, okay, but if that if we're judging that criteria as fuck you energy, then I mean, then I'm I'm up there too because like I definitely I mean, was guys, just like I don't yeah, give no. a fuck. Like you can guy. enter the Thunderdome at any time. <laughs> like, feel free. I think you. But I feel like Ryan, you were like the reason I put you number one is just because I feel like you were angrier. Just yeah. in general, no, I, I was more, at the time. I was more of the like I could not give less of a fuck about any of this shit. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It wasn't an it wasn't so much an anger as it was just like a, a disdain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, disdain. Yeah. I didn't care about being excluded. I never wanted to be like I excluded Maybe. myself. I stepped away. It's just like I don't want to yeah. fuck with you people. <laughs> like I'm gonna go no, over here. I and I look back on that and I think, yeah, it would have been a lot cooler if I had more disdain and less fuck you. But, but you know, I, I don't like, think I so. Plenty of fuck you. I don't think so because I don't think I was any cooler than you. <laughs> we, you had uh, a lot of anger and I had a but, lot of disdain. Ryan, there's there, there's no one right way to handle douchebags. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. It, with care, I think, is the yeah. only right way because you don't <laughs> want that all over you. It'll make a real mess. Yeah. Um, true. Yeah. I also, you know, Quinn, I think, because, so Quinn's a couple years younger, like two years younger, right? Than me and Ryan and, and, and Jenny. And I feel like the, maybe the cool kids or the popular kids you were talking about, I, 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 because just probably just the virtue of being older, like, like I was not impressed by it or whatever. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It was just like, whatever, you know, who cares? And like, I, I, I guess I just wasn't privy to that in some ways, right? I just thought you guys were cool, <laughs> you know, so, and I don't think I ever saw your, like, raw anger. I mean, I, I know you have a lot of, there was a lot of anger inside, right? But I don't, I don't, maybe I didn't perceive you back then as being, like, a double middle fingers in the air, like, like, type of dude. That was more Cullen, Hanky. Shout out yeah, to Cullen. Yeah, and, and I came from Maysville, too, so, 
Yeah. Like, I was coming to a new school just by where I went to elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was yeah, yeah. Like, a totally different path of, like, finding my place. Like, you know, I, I didn't have a map or any past experience. It was just like, okay, I'm thrown in amongst, you know, 700 other kids, and... I gotta pick my own, choose my own adventure, <laughs> without any like you know his without any known history of like what I was jumping into. Yeah. Daily, and daily you had like forty minutes on a bus to figure that. Yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny because it makes me think of Log. Yeah, our, I mean, our Log old buddy Log. He he rode the bus with you guys, right? Like an extra fifteen minutes, even. Yeah, yeah. Well, he rode from like the county line. Like yeah. they were like right at the county line. Yeah. And it's it, you know yeah. But Toma had something similar. Like you were, you went to Moorfield. You weren't in a different school district, but like you but were far enough was, away you could have been. It was, it was you, like you I could like, have thrown, thrown a rock and hit Pendleton County. You know, yeah, like it was yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was uh, definitely an hour fifteen, I think, on the bus for me because it was a full twenty miles out, and yeah. I didn't have a long commute. I just felt very, very weird. And to be fair, thought everyone else was very weird. So well, I mean, listen, that, that's not exclusive to the commute. I mean, us, I commuted, and I also felt weird, but I was okay with that. Yeah, yeah. No, and, okay to, and to be fair, a lot of the rest of us had only heard of, and you know, certainly never been to Miami or New York. So yeah, like, yeah. I mean, us, you, you really were an alien, and I'm sure it, we were as well. Well, yeah, I think that that, that 100 the feeling was mutual. And like the the thing the thing was just always trying to figure out well what like everything <laughs> like, like I what I am I what am like I the ability to get that out of the way and like I just got that out of the way in like third fourth grade and so by the time I made it to high school it was just like all right like you know we just kind of like had sorted all that out by then you know Quinn the I like there were people that you know we're not less necessarily in our friend group that really got into this record because of me. I think about like Casey Jensen and I think about a couple of other, other people that it's just like we were friends and I had this shit on in the car and <laughs> like just after a while, like they were just like, Hey, what is this? You know, or like, Hey, or give me a blank tape and like, be like, Hey, can you make me a copy? Um, yeah. That was, that was always the fun bit, right? Like, cause that's how I think it was, I think, is that how I transferred this album to you? Did I give you the tape when I bought the CD? How did this work? Yeah, I think you did give me the tape when I bought the CD. And then I I wore the tape out. It's like one of the yeah. few tapes that I've just wore completely out. And then yeah. I had to buy the CDs. But yeah, that's exactly how it worked. Yeah. Fun. No, this was your fault, so, dude. It's your fault. <laughs> you know, like, like to be honest, like, if this is my contribution, I'm, I'm satisfied. Well, that's good. It's a, it was a good contribution. Know. Very, very good. You know, brought us all together. So, wait, Quentin? Wait, Quentin stars? Quentin out of five? Uh, in my it's own okay to be five. Yeah. It's, it's be that five, five guy. Yeah. Yeah. For me, no. it, it's, my mix is a five because, like, it's my, it's my mix. It's like it, but this one is mine. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> as far as the record goes, I want to give it a four. I think probably 20 years ago, it would have been a five easy, but I've listened to a lot more music since then. And like maybe some of the warts show up a little bit more these days. Yeah, I think that's fair. We got a gun for it either. Or would it be?